Welcome to Dirty Secrets of Small Business. Our purpose is to have fun talking about small business stuff. And along the way, we'll give you knowledge and tools to succeed with your small business, whether you're starting out from from scratch or basically uh, you're already established. My name is Jack Mancini, and I'm here with my my business partner, Adam Sunholder. That's right, Hello, Jack, Adam. and we're uh, we're here every week to talk about business. We and we like to talk about small business, which we define as anywhere from one to twenty five employees, which is the vast majority of the companies that are out there, and those are the folks that we work with and love and love being around and love uh, love utilizing when we when we go out and buy stuff too. It's a, it's the right kind of companies to be able to work with, and so. We're a couple of guys have been together going on 15 years now, Jack and I. Boy, a and, long uh, time, Adam. 15 years. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. T- time does go by quickly, doesn't it? Every bit was fun so far right up to this point. <laughs> we're, a couple, we're a couple of guys who've been there, been there and done it. And uh, we, we aren't professors coming out of, uh, coming out of schools. We're, we're, we're guys who have owned and operated between the two of us 20 companies and have worked uh, for and advised and coached hundreds more. And a big part of what we, what we do on our show here for, the, for Dirty Secrets of Small Business is we help to share not only our personal stories, but those of the hundreds of the folks that we've, we've worked with to help you as an owner uh, through your day-to-day stuff and realizing that whatever you, you're going through, been through, it's not the first time for, for for anybody. We have answers for all those things. We do. We really do. Yeah. So anyway, today's show. Okay, we we have four segments. They're standard segments that that basically uh, we're going to go over in the next hour. Common myths of small business ownership. We're going to identify those common myths and then debunk them. Second segment is dirty secret of the week. Uh, next segment is how come with a question mark and that's I'm going to ponder the world like I've been doing the last week since our last show last Monday and I'm going to come up with a how come question how come this or that and Adam and I are going to ponder that together and kind of uh, dissect it and see where it takes us (laughs) can't wait then the fourth one is a small business success story Adam's going to chronicle one of our many successes with our clients and kind of talk about it within the context of how we coach. We're business coaches. Uh, that means we deal with companies that are small in our target market, and that def- that's defined as 1 to 25 employees. You know, most business owners are what we like to say are stuck in a state of how. Sometimes people look at us like we're crazy when we say that, but that question how for a small business owner comes up multiple times a day, guaranteed. How do I make a profit plan? How do I present my company? How do I create a marketing plan? How do I find good people? The list of how questions is absolutely endless. We're Maximum Value Partners, MVP. And as I said a few seconds ago, we're business coaches. And we help small business owners get unstuck from that state of how. And we absolutely love doing it. And if you're wondering how you get a hold of us... Whether we're here in the studio or if we're not here in the studio, there's lots of ways to do that. But probably one of the best ways is to give us a call, the old-fashioned phone call. We we like to get those, which is 877-849-0670. Again, that phone number is 877-849-0670. If you prefer to kind of uh, cyber-stalk us, you can check us out online at uh, MaximumVP.com. We also have a Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash MaximumVP. And if you'd like to email, you can do that as well. For our, our radio audience here, you can, you can email us at radio at MaximumVP.com. It's also a great place to put some questions or thoughts or something that you'd like to have covered. We'd be happy to read it here on the air and address that, uh, address that issue for you as well. So 
Yeah, any any small business owner out there, you know, just uh, we know you have issues, and it's unlikely, as Adam said earlier, that we have not crossed that that issue before somewhere along the line. And if we haven't, we between the two of us, we always always come up with uh, very creative solutions. So don't don't wrestle with all that how anxiety yourself. Give us a call. All right, let's jump into our debunking of our common myth for this week, Jack. So as we always do, we, we have a common myth that's out there that we like to take and really debunk and put a little different spin on it. And the one for this week is that customers only care about low prices. Oh, boy. Why is that ever untrue? There's a, there's an old adage. Um, hey, you, know, you can have it cheap, quick, and right. So pick two of the three, right? So you can either have it cheap and quick, cheap and right, or quick and right. Yeah, that's a good adage. I right. never heard that. One never heard before. that one before. No, oh, I see they're on all over the place, right? It's kind of one of those kind of tongue and cheek things, right? You can't get all three of those, but you can get two of the three, right? Makes great sense to me. So what that tells me again, it's going to be it's going to be cheap and quick, but not right, or it's going to be cheap and right, but not quick. So, <laughs> so which ones do you want? Everybody seems to want all three these days. And as I was pondering this, one of the things I try to figure out is, has it always been this way? Because if you're if your sole competitive advantage is price, that is a very very slippery slope, and you're on a going out of business curve because you cannot compete on price alone, especially as a small business. But you know, Jack, has it always been this way? I, I'm trying to picture the old school butcher shop. You know, here you go. You walked in, you know, and, and here you're going to buy your meat for the week. Are people always? Negotiating price, looking for the cheapest price. Were they were people okay paying for things? I think at the at the retail level, you know, where where most consumers obviously we all have to reside there in some form or another, uh, buying food, buying clothes, uh, you know, just going about uh, paying for your day to day living expenses. People culturally, the the culture here allows people to feel very comfortable focusing on price, and. Because it's it's right there. We we get the sale, and you know price is going to be very easily talked about. Now, what happens in small business is that that's carried on to small businesses, but small businesses, as you know very well, require more than just price. But yet, culturally, somebody is very confident and always talking about price. So you come along and you try to show the attributes of your product or service. And sitting across the table is the customer targeted, and you know that he or she is going to ask about price. But really, they want more, but as we also know, most people can't express what it is they want. What it does is it starts to commoditize stuff. And I, you know, your point's well taken, Jack. In a retail setting, and there's all sorts of technology and apps available today. I can walk through a store, and you'll see if you walk through a store these days, people will be on their phones. And... Or their smartphones, and what they are, you know, what they're often doing is they're 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 price shopping. So literally, it's a commodity. So this is especially true for our for, for our service based companies out there. One of the great things that we use to help combat price for people is we use this very simple phrase. And so make sure you have a pen and, a pen and paper ready for this. Okay, right, let me get mine. Go on. All right. So when when they somebody somebody says you're expensive, here's your here's your response to them. Compared to what? Absolutely perfect response. Right. We use that all the time because we have a customized, very unique product, right. even though there are people who call themselves business coaches. But, that, yeah. and, and that's true for many of our service-based clients as well. And it can be true for, for many folks who do product, too. We, we, to, to say compared to what is helping you to start to differentiate what it is that your product or service does. And if you do that, 
you can then help gain the upper hand when it comes to being able to negotiate price. Because that will often stop people in their tracks. It's fun. It's fun to see that because you're right. It does. It stops them, literally. How, how do you respond to that? Well, compared to the other guy. Well, wait, what, what's he giving you versus what I'm giving you? And even if you have a checkoff list, it's not going to be apples to apples, almost impossible. So, yes, it's, a, it's an excellent statement. Yeah, so what you have to be prepared for then is you have to be prepared, as Jack's saying, to now, you know, once they've been stopped in their tracks a little bit, you have a chance now to talk about what makes you different. And you got to know what that is. So you have to know what's making you different. Again, if it's only price, you might as well close up shop today. Yep. While you still have control over it because you're on a going out of business curve. Or at least figure out in the next few months or a few years what else makes you different. Because, again, if it's just price... Yeah, you can't last. Yeah, you're impossible. You're a goner at that point. You'll you'll keep getting nickel-dimed. Every once in a while, you'll luck out, but for the most part, no. Well, you know, the more astute shoppers aren't about price. Of course, they're going to bring price in. I mean, that's that's just customary, so you can expect it. But what else should you be giving a, a customer besides price? And the more astute customers will put value. Well, they'll put value on other things, such as integrity, keeping your promises, it's very important. You know, I, I don't mind paying a premium for somebody if I can count on them. Count on them to get value. It's, it's easy doing business with them. We have a good relationship. Uh, I'm, I'm getting usually better than expected service. Uh, the value I get, you know, it's, it's received for the money itself. I, you know, I, I'm paying money and I do want value and I want the perception that I'm getting value. And the quality goes without saying. So if I'm a, a, a supplier of a service, and I'd like to think we are, and or a, a commodity of some type, a product of some type, if you incorporate those things that I just said, integrity, value received, better than expected service, good quality, easy to do business, fun to do business with, why in the world would I hassle you on price? I'll try it a little bit just to do it, but I'm not going to stick, you know, to my guns and demand a low price plus all those other things. I'll appreciate those other things because that's really what makes the relationship and the business relationship especially go. That's a very good point, Jack. And I I think to reinforce that a little bit, it's often the very simple little things. And and, and to give you a very simple example of that, you know, one of the things that, that, that makes Jack and I unique in our coaching practice is the fact that not only do we have two-on-one, but we are, we are available to our clients 24-7. Wait, you know how I got to always, always Go qualify that. If, if you do need one of us at 3 in the morning, uh, you got to call Adam. But uh, that's the only only, only caveat. Right. And, and, and that's a big deal because a lot of our competition, or supposed competition, they, they have a flat rate maybe, but they're, they're, they're more hourly. The way we the way we uh, engage with our clients is that it's a flat monthly fee. And that covers our our, our week to week or biweekly meetings, but also covers us being available by phone, by email, by text to to be there for them. And, and we didn't think you know, our contracts, uh, you know, are are month to month. So if you don't think you're getting value, let us know, and that's it. If we don't think you're taking a coaching, we'll let you know, and that'll be it. So it's often very simple things like that you can use to be able to, to differentiate yourself. So. All right, stick around. When we come back, we're going to be digging into our dirty secret of the week. I'm Adam Sonhalter. And I'm Jack Mancini with Maximum Value Partners. As we have been saying, we're business coaches, and we can help you get unstuck from all those how questions in your business. Give us a call. I've got to Welcome back. 
The Dirty Secrets of Small Business. I'm Adam Sonhalter. And I'm Jack Mancini with Maximum Value Partners, MVP, Most Valuable Player. We're business coaches who help owners of small companies get unstuck from the state of how. Don't you wrestle with all those how questions on your own. We can help you. We love helping small business owners get unstuck. All right, Jack. So we're at the, the how come portion, and this is the portion for, for our new listeners where we, Jack's been pondering stuff, and he starts with the question of how come, and he'll somehow pull it back to business. So sometimes it's off on different tangents, but they're always interesting and fun. So let's see what he's got in his mind today, Jack. Okay. Thank you, Adam. How come? All right. We just entered the presidential election cycle. The week after Labor Day, after the week after Labor Day, all kinds of stuff is going to be talked about over the next couple of months. So I have a how come question based on that little background. How come all these journalists want to see Trump's tax return? Why do they want to do that? I'm going to try to make some sense out of all this because I think it's absolutely crazy that they want to do it. Now, there's a, a, uh, I was reading, somebody wrote into the, a uh, letter to the editor here, somebody, uh, uh, Roberta Radcliffe. And she was saying that since 1976, all major party candidates, and I'm reading from her little uh, little letter, each uh, major, all the major candidates have made their returns public, usually before the convention. So the, she, she posed the question, why is this important? Then she quotes a couple of journalists, all right? who are always hot on that topic. That's one of my favorite complaints uh, about a lot of things, but that's, that's one of them. So she quotes a James Stewart of the New York Times. He writes that thanks to loopholes in the tax code, it's entirely possible, even likely, that Mr. Trump pays little or no federal income tax. Okay. Then she quotes Fortune magazine concurs and adds most voters don't expect to receive production or protection from the military and other federally funded programs for free. If Trump pays little or no tax, the tens of millions who pay income taxes are effectively paying his way. Hey, don't we need all this information to vote intelligently? And my answer is hell no. I said, and, and the reason I feel that way, it's it's. It, it is really none of our business, and we won't be able to understand it anyway. I applaud Trump for not releasing it because it's too complicated. Now, let me give you an example. Let's say he paid no income taxes, and he did it within the legal boundaries of, of his holdings, which are vast and complicated, and he paid for the best attorneys, and he, he played for the system and with the system. Now, is he wrong? Now, let's contrast that to he paid... I don't know, half a billion dollars in taxes. How would you now look at him as a, as a pretty advanced and smart uh, executive or some buffoon that he couldn't pull the resources together to reduce his taxes? The point is, we, the journalists want that because they can pick it apart and come up with stories. And if they aren't objective, and today you can argue one way or another that the objectivity isn't there. So they're going to slant that pull all kinds of different pieces of information, take it out of context, and all of a sudden the dialogue about what's what's important doesn't take place. You know, I don't care about his friggin' taxes. I find it entertaining, perhaps, one way or another, but I don't need that. I think there's a, the, 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 there's a bigger question here. This often will come up. People will talk about income versus wealth. Okay? And so they're very different. So it's not unusual for a wealthy person 
to have little to no income. Sure. Now, it's, it sounds kind of strange to people. It's, it's kind of in a, a, a local story here about some guy that I guess somehow was related to, or he's an, he's a prince over in Iran that lives here locally in the Cleveland area, and he's you know, getting three hundred dollars a month in food stamps, which oh. is totally which is totally legal, right? There was it was being discussed by different people as well. How could this happen? And the, the topic did not come up about income versus wealth, or he may be very wealthy. He said, supposedly he's worth like one hundred ten million dollars, right? So they said, how could this guy worth $110 million be receiving food stamps for 300 bucks a See, month? See, most, right? most people don't, right. don't have a clue because most people are what we lovingly call job people. They have a job. They get a, a, a statement at the end of the year showing what they earned, and they file their taxes, and they either pay or get a refund. Well, with wealth, wealth is really the, the, the accumulation of what you own less what you owe. So you subtract what you owe from what you own, and that's your, we'll call it net worth for some So Hold on. So, so think about that for a second. What you own versus what you owe. Now, most people don't own anything. They may own a home, quote unquote, own a home. Well, in reality, the bank really own, owns that home because most people have a mortgage to debt. it, right? That's right. It could be true for a car or for different things like that. But again, if you look at everything that you supposedly own, different assets that you have, and take out what you owe against those things. So that's where that wealth starts to become created. It, it, it isn't really a complicated concept, but the problem is very few people have significant wealth. Thus, what Adam's saying, a lot of stuff, a lot of assets. So they don't think like that. But if you derive your, we'll call it uh, cash flow to live on, and you derive it by selling some of those big assets or refinancing some of those big assets, you can have a very significant income without really paying much in the way of high taxes, as you do with a job. Sure, especially when it comes to real estate, right? There's a, what's it called? Um, it's not a 529 exchange. There's a, there's a certain exchange that if 20, you sell real... 2016, 2013. Yeah, you know, the tax code could fill many rooms. And if any of you CPAs out there, maybe you'll call in and correct us on the number here. But when you sell real estate, you can always take a gain and be able to roll it over into something else without paying taxes on it. So you can continue to delay paying of taxes on things like this. To Jack's point earlier, these are all things that are very, very legal. So to now have to shift to a conversation and try to explain that to people and go into tax code that makes every one of our eyeballs bleed, right? It's crazy, right? So I think that's probably part of the reason why he's not. I I applaud him for not doing that. Plus, I'd rather hear bigger issues, things like immigration, trade, war, um, you know, and, and intrusive government, wasteful government spending. My God, you know, for, for small businesses, that's that's absolutely horror. Uh, the education system, which is a problem, and crime. I'd, I'd rather hear those continually addressed with good, hard questions and, and good discussions. But what we always do with the how-come questions, we try to apply it to small business, Okay. Now, since Adam's been with me for so long and we've been together, we kind of know. He, he At least he has a sense of maybe what I'm going to say. So and with our clients, we strongly advocate that our clients, the owners of businesses, share information about their business with their employees. In other words, they can look at a profit and loss statement. They can present this, a balance sheet. They should be open and totally transparent with their business. That's what we, that's what we advocate with one exception, and this becomes a firing offense in that company, and you tell your employees this. I'll let you know what anything that, that we're doing in this company is, what's going on with it, except one thing. That's the payroll. 
Anyone who has information on the payroll and shares it or gives it out, they're fired. There's absolutely no upside, zero upside, to share the information about payroll because it's a highly subjective thing. People always feel they're underpaid. They're going to want more, especially if they see the guy next to them or the girl next to them uh, basically getting more than they do. And that flows right into the Trump no, not releasing his income tax return. Like there's no upside to seeing his tax return. It's just interesting entertainment, but that's not what he's that he, he's there for, and that's not what we want him for. And so if Adam Adam leaks the payroll information of uh, Nancy, who, who's sitting next to him, then okay, Adam's fired. That's yeah, simple. Yeah, just just so the, the 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 listening audience is clear, what we we're okay with, and it's part of what's shown on a, a profit loss statement as a show. Here's payroll expenses as a lump sum number. What Jack's talking about is not detailing out who's making what. There's no upside to people doing that. Now, usually there's a, a person or people within the company that know that. And what Jack's talking about is that they start to use that in a abusive or negative way, whether it be spouting out to other folks who's making what. Or use it to leverage their own situation to be able to negotiate. Where it's not, it's not being used properly. And, and it's such a big deal, and it can have such an impact on the organization. We put it in that status of terminal. And that's about the only piece of information that I would not hesitate to share with, uh, with my employees. I don't care what it is. They should know it. And what we constantly come across are owners who keep it close to the vest and are absolutely terrified in doing that. We love to debate them. And I would say, what, Adam, 95% of the time we convince them of the, 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 the intelligence and the positives about sharing that information, all except payroll. It's good. Good stuff, Jack. Um, Good. All right. Stay tuned. We come back. We're going to Talk about how do you convince your account manager to fire their top customers. I'm Adam Sonhalter. And I'm Jack Mancini with Maximum Value Partners. We're business coaches, and we can help you get unstuck from all those how questions. Give us a call. Let's have some fun. Dirty Secrets of Small Business. I'm Adam Sonhalter. And I'm Jack Mancini with Maximum Value Partners, MVP. We're business coaches who help owners of small companies get unstuck from the state of how. Don't wrestle with all those how questions on your own. We can help. We've helped many, many owners of small businesses, and we'd love to help you. And then we love it so much. This is a big part of our show, and I'd like to share one of those success stories. And when we talk about small, small business is 1 to 25 employees. That's what we're talking about here. And we like to frame our discussion here in terms of our seven keys to success. Our seven keys are what we coach our clients on to get involved in their business. And so if you're wondering what those seven keys are, you, you want to take a look at them. If you look at our website at MaximumVP.com, there's a tab there that's called MVP Playbook. Underneath there, you'll see a nice graphic for seven keys to success. And the two for this week's uh, story are going to be focusing on our, our numbers two and three, the profit plan and the marketing plan, which were keys for this story. And so, as I alluded to before the break here, the, 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 the how question we're helping to answer here is, how do I convince my account managers to fire their top customers? I'm sure many of the owners have had issues with this in terms of, you have a sense, this is true for our client, he had a sense that some of their customers were not profitable based on how much time and effort was being put into different jobs. Now, the problem was his data, his numbers were kind of a mess. 
So he couldn't really back it up. So well, he'd have it. That's a that's always a big deal. You know, they they know it, they sense it, like you're saying, but you know, they don't understand the numbers and the process for analyzing that. So they hold on to that abusive customer rather than look at the hard facts and say, look, you could be better off by not holding on to this customer. Well, what was good about this client of ours is that he'd been with us for a little bit, and so he was convinced that they, that, that they weren't good. The problem was when he was going up to talk to his account managers about it, they were kind of button heads. So as much as our client, the owner, was, you know, his gut was telling him one thing, the other guy was telling him something else. Right? His gut was different. So when you go back and forth, they have these emotional battles, so to speak. Often data and, and, and cooler heads will prevail if you have good numbers to kind of, to kind of show and talk about. So important. Absolutely. So the, the initial focus here, and this ties into both the, the, the marketing plan and the profit plan from a standpoint of being able to have good numbers to kind of show and, and show by customer who's profitable, who's not profitable. And the marketing plan, again, deciding who a good customer is. That's a big part of the marketing plan is understanding who is a good customer, starting with your current customers, because I guarantee you, everybody who owns a company listening to this show, I guarantee you, you have clients and customers that you should fire. That's right. Guaranteed. That's right. That you, can, you can confidently, like you are, say that because it's true. And whether you're the one giving the litany of excuses or it's your account manager or your salesman, whoever it's going to be as far as why you can't do it. And it's often some of your biggest customers because they are bringing in a lot of revenue. But your job as the owner isn't to increase and, and grow revenue per se. It's to grow profit. So it's often the case where we find where we've got you know, clients of ours that have customers that they're losing money on. They've been losing money on them for years. And we, it's too hard to figure that out, though. Adam. Right. Well, we have we have we have a separate one that we're working through that right now, where he's he knows that he's been losing money on these guys, but they're working on a plan where they're going to increase the price a little bit, and they're going to work on work on a nice referral program from them. So they're going to use that as a loss leader to a certain extent, assuming they can get profitable business out of them from some of their customers. Now, well, so we're going we, we, we we to see how that one goes, we right? Have, <laughs> that's right. We have fun coaching them along that that poli- internal policy change. So, yeah, it's a hard, hard change to make. All right, so let me come back to our, to our client here that we're talking about. This. He's trying to convince his account manager to, to, to make this change. So it took him about a year to get his numbers cleaned up to the point where he could show in black and white the amount of money that was being lost with some of these customers and to convince them to be able to, 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 to either fire these customers or one of the best ways we know to fire a customer is to raise prices. And you raise prices to the point where you know you're going to make money on it or they're going to leave. Yeah, they're going to pay for the aggravation. That's, that's the right way to look at it. That's called the pain in the butt premium, we like to call that. <laughs> and if they're paying in your butt, they're going to be paying in somebody else's butt too. So they got to pay you that premium for that, right? I mean, it goes back to what Jack's talking about before. When he he's happy to pay a premium for for, for services, Jack's probably one of those paying the butt customers that people are uh, used to dealing with. He, he he didn't know that, but now he's tra- starting to figure that out. That's okay. <laughs> he likes paying that premium, and so do those folks. So, what happened was he he was able to show in black and white. Calmer voices started to to to, to prevail because he was able to pr- present data to his account manager. He said, "Okay, so with trepidation, he went out and he he he, he went across the board for for all these customers and started to raise their prices. Some he he raised by as much as fifty to one hundred percent to increase them. And guess what happened? What happened? More than half the customers stayed on board, and wow. they even came back to him and said, "Hey, you know, we we kind of knew we were getting a good deal, <laughs> and even at the price that you're quoting us now, that's that's the revised price. It's still a pretty good deal. Plus, we know you." You know, we, you know, we've been a customer here for years. We know how you handle stuff. You guys, you, you guys handle stuff very, very well. So we're going to accept that price increase. 
Yeah, be okay if, with it. If you're doing other stuff for that customer, those kind of things can be done. If you aren't, and if you're on a commodity basis and price, like we had said before, is is uh, about the only thing you talk about, then hey, you get a, a bunch of customers like that, and you're going to be out of business. So I wanted to I wanted to share this story today because I think it, it touches on a lot of things that, that we've kind of talked about today, and, and especially when it comes to the, the idea of trying to compete on price, that people feel that pressure to, to compete on price and not being able to raise the price, and to be able to to be able to look and analyze and do it with a cooler head. Your gut's good, and your gut's usually pretty educated as the owner because you're you're aware of a lot of things that are going on, but to be able to prove that out in black and white and get your team convinced that this is that, that this is the right thing to be able to do. So in their case, what happened was that they, they really didn't lose revenue at all because even though they lost some customers, the increase in the, in the revenue from the, the customers that they, that they did maintain, you know, maintained their, their, their revenue. And what happened was they went from a loss on, the, on that group of customers to be able to make a profit on that customers. Amazing. Which is, which is yeah. the whole, again, that's the whole key. So, but, you know, for a year, the battle back and forth, you know, one gut fighting another gut and, you know, that, you know, that, that battle usually doesn't go very well. To, to, to look in black and white and see and, and prove out here's what's going on and be able to understand your numbers. So understanding your numbers is a key part for you as the owner to be able to, to, to have these kind and, of discussions. And drive, and drive that thought. You know, the, an account manager generally is going to be geared towards sales and satisfaction of the company or the customer and, and not create a lot of uh, negativity where sometimes negativity has to be created and or certainly challenged and only the owner is going to do that, or let's say the owner does that best. Account managers generally don't do that best, so it's it's extremely important, and somebody's got to do it. Well, look around the room, and hey, wait, there's the owner. He's the one who's got to do it, or she's the one who's got to do it. So yeah, so if if they're a good customer for you, and and, and you're providing good service to them, to Jack's point, also, and you're providing not just you know a basic product or service, but you're adding other things to that. They know that. It's often very difficult for people to, to, to leave their current provider. And we see this all the time with, with clients, especially oh, when it comes yeah. to like CPAs who aren't doing a good job for their clients. And you know, you've got to really screw some stuff up for people to, to move and change, especially when, they, when they've been with you for years. It's, it's hard for them to, to, to stop using you and use somebody else. Really I is. agree. Yeah, that, that is a very emotional charged meeting when, when you have to uh, let go of a long-time customer. It's, it's just like a, a long-time employee. I mean, what's the difference? Or a long-time vendor. Same thing. Right. That relationship is, is making it generally what it is, unless he's a bozo or she's a bozo. So you have to keep, you have to keep that in mind when you're coming to make these, these tough decisions because they can be very, very tough and very emotional. And again, nobody wants to necessarily shrink the company on purpose. But again, when we talk about shrinking revenue, it's okay as long as we're increasing profit and we're having the right kind of customers. I can't, I can't, emphasize that enough having the right kind of customers for you and if you've been in business for a couple of years or a couple of decades you should be able to profile and talk about what makes a good customer for you and it can't just be revenue can't be if it is you probably have a lot of the wrong customers that's right it, it's got to be the, the the relationship and and helping and uh, having fun you know the, i mean as corny as that may sound those things kind of enhance the profitability. It's not all about money. It's about relationship and, and goodwill. And those are the kind of customers you want because it's easy to go into the office every day. That's right. So our closing thought for the day on this before we wrap the show is don't be afraid of losing customers, even big ones that chase them away. It's probably what's best for your business. All right. Well, we want to thank you for joining us again for this week's edition of Dirty Secrets of Small Business. We invite you to tune in every Monday at noon. 
If you have any questions before our next show, you can email them at radio at MaximumVP.com. Post us up on Facebook.com forward slash MaximumVP or give us a call, 877-849-0670. That's 877-849-0670. Okay, at at Maximum Value Partners, we work hard, we really do, to build long-term relationships and become not only your valued advisors, but also your trusted friends. Our clients literally stay with us for years. Nine years has been the longest one still with us. If you're looking to be a successful, knowledgeable business owner and to take your company anywhere you want to go, we can help. In case you missed part of this show or any other shows, you can listen at your leisure anytime, day or night. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and please leave a review when you're there. Or you can go to WINT Radio, click on Archive Programs and select by the, the show and download it to your computer as well as on your mobile device at TuneIn.com. Where you found me. Ah.